Everything you see around you, this systemic attack on our values, our traditions, our faith, and our children is biblical. Tonight, we're diving into all of it to give you the tools you need to recognize, understand, and root out the evil that's attacking your country from all sides. But worst of all, from within. This special edition of Tommy Lahren is Fearless starts right now. Conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, there used to be a line drawn in the sand when it came to children. They used to be off limits and protected from explicit ideas, images, indoctrination, and sexualization. Pedophilia, child exploitation, and grooming used to be things done in the dark and if brought to light, condemned by all, regardless of political affiliation, religion, or denomination, but not anymore. What we're seeing and experiencing now is a whole new ball game. Children have been thrown into the crosshairs of a radical cult-like movement of individuals that openly seek to exploit and use them as political pawns. What we're facing now goes well beyond diversity, love, and tolerance. This is not that. This is a coordinated effort to distance young people from truth, from reality, from their parents, and from God himself. But this didn't happen out of nowhere. This is all biblical. The slow rot of values, of decency, of truth, and light has been mapped out for us in the scripture. But I admit, most of us, myself included, haven't taken the time to fully study and understand it. That's why I've brought in an expert. Joining me now from World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Pastor Alan Jackson. Pastor, it's great to have you back. It's good to be back, Tommy. So I wanted to have you here for this special edition of my show because I think a lot of Christians, a lot of Americans have been seeing the writing on the wall with how things have been escalating in the last several years that children are now there for the taking. Now people are being pushed away from not only the traditional family, but just their own parents in general, whatever their family looks like. And then of course, being pushed away from God, from faith and pop culture has elevated that. It's exacerbated that. But I think a lot of people are wondering when they look at the Bible and they look at scripture, where do they see those little hints, those little Easter eggs written in our Bible that would maybe give them a little bit of preparedness or maybe some comfort, a solution, guidance. So I want you to dig into a little bit of that and help my audience understand how they can best prepare to tackle the time we're in now. Okay. In 30 seconds or less, that's no problem. <laughs> no, you got plenty of time. You got plenty of time. Well, I think a couple of things. COVID seems to have been an accelerator. And in some way, I think it's a gift. It's like the curtain got pulled back. I think these things have been happening to us honestly, for decades. But somehow with COVID, we were awakened to our circumstance with a new clarity. And I think that's a gift. It's like going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis. Maybe you don't like the diagnosis. It may mean you're going to have to make some changes, but it means you can affect your future if you'll respond to it. So my first message would be don't be filled with, with fear or despair. I think what we're seeing is really hopeful because it's been happening to us for a long time and we've been asleep at the wheel. And then, you know, if we go back to kind of the biblical perspective, every generation has to make a decision about truth for themselves. And we have been living off of the decisions that our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents made. You know, we say the World War II generation was the greatest generation. Those young people waded ashore on the beaches of France in, in some pretty horrific conditions to fight for freedom on our behalf. And we have lived off the sacrifices of that generation. And now we have people that have targeted our children and they say it's open season on our children, encouraging them to mutilate themselves. Uh, they've said our faith isn't welcome in the public schools. It's not welcome in the public uh, corporate boardrooms anymore. 
And, and we kind of accepted that nonsense. You know, they said if one person is offended by your faith and they raise their hand and say, I object, that we should withdraw from the arena. And we said, okay. And so now we find ourselves where all those same settings are pushing an ideology, a worldview that's in opposition to a biblical worldview. And when we raise our hand and say, we're offended. They say, shut up, we'll cancel you. That's hate speech. You're a bigot or some label they want to attach to us. We're gonna to have to take that back. We're gonna to have to have the same determination that those young people had when they waded ashore on the beaches of France. I'm not suggesting violence, but I'm suggesting a different kind of courage and boldness. We've had this notion that the 11th commandment is be polite. I don't believe that. I won't accept that. We have to have a determination. We have to have the willingness to stand up for what we believe. We're not the first generation to wander into the weeds. You know, the, the Bible is filled with this narrative. The book of Judges is a repetitive cycle of the chosen covenant people of God living in a promised land, and they keep wandering off the path. And God brings them a new leader. He brings them Samson, who has some immoral problems himself, but God uses him to bring deliverance. He brings Gideon. He brings Deborah. We're the 21st century edition of that. We have had this heritage of a biblical worldview, and we've wandered off the path. We have winked at immorality. We have kind of grinned at ungodliness until now we find ourselves besieged by lies and deception and perversion and hatred. The question is, will we have the courage to make a decision that brings some liberty and freedom to the generation who follows us? And that begins with a biblical worldview. We've had this mistaken notion that our faith was about eternity. You know, go say a little prayer and get saved so you can go to heaven. Right. But God will take something away from you. God's not going to take anything away. He I don't have anything God needs. Anything that comes into my life from a relationship with God makes my life better. And to have the relationship that God will diminish you, diminish your fun, diminish your pleasure, diminish your joy, it's a lie. It's like somebody trying to sell you crack and saying it'll make your life better. It's just a false narrative. God will make your life better. And we, we've had this flip the wrong direction. So it's time to wake up, to stop being ashamed of our faith, stop being ashamed of biblical values, and begin to courageously say they belong in the schools, they belong on our college campuses, they belong in our corporate boardrooms. If you don't want to embrace it, okay. We're not going to force it on you, but we're going to have the right to bring those values back into the public square. We can do this. So, Pastor, recently there's been somewhat of a backlash against the extreme LGBTQ agenda, especially around the time of Pride Month. A lot of Muslim Americans standing up, a lot of Muslim parents standing up and trying to root this out of their children's schools. Why is it that certain groups are able to have a microphone and a platform to push back against some of this agenda, but it feels like Christians don't get that same grace and that same respect for their opinions? Well, I'll give you my honest answer. I think the subtext to everything we watch has a spiritual component. And I think there's a spiritual battle taking place in the earth. And there's a hatred for the spirit of Christ. The biblical word for that is the spirit of Antichrist. And yeah, there'll be some world leader eventually that steps up that's the embodiment of that. But that's not today's problem. Today's problem is you see, if you're just a casual observer, there's an un illogical, irrational hatred for that Judeo-Christian worldview. And for some reason, Christians have accepted the narrative and we've apologized for it. I'm done, I'm done. I am not ashamed of the worldview I hold, of the values that I espouse, 
that God created as male and female. We're different, but we're both wonderful. It's not greater or lesser. There's something amazing in that creation. And you're right, there's a hatred for that, and we see it all around us. And I feel like the majority of the Christians in our nation have been convinced that being timid and yielding is the way to go. And we've done that. It, again, it's not the, there's a lot of historical examples of the church. 55 million people died as a result of World War II. 55 million people. And one way of understanding that conflict is the church failed. What if the church had stood up across Europe and saying, we won't tolerate this. We will not accept these values or this behavior. Instead, we went in our churches and sang our hymns more loudly so when the trains went by with the Jewish people on them, we couldn't hear their screams. A hundred million people died in the last century because of communism in our world. And the first thing the communists do is silence the churches. That's a matter of history. That's not opinion. What if the church had stood up? That's 150 million people. So we're standing in the midst of this current culture, and the Christians are going, we should be polite. Heck no. We should be courageous and bold. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be belligerent. We don't have to be violent. I'm not giving in anymore. And that doesn't make me less of a Christ follower or less filled with the love of God. You know, people say the Old Testament is harsh. And the New Testament is about a group hug. Right. They haven't read the book. Read the letters. The letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Colossians. Paul wrote them from a prison cell in Rome. He wrote to the Corinthians and he said, let me remind you of my curriculum vitae. He said five times I took 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes was supposed to kill you. Five times he was beaten almost to death. Well, most of us, you know, if that happened once, we might re-enlist. If it happened twice, I doubt it. That was his lifestyle. The one we call Lord and King, they tortured him to death outside the city of Jerusalem. And within a couple of years of his death, they began murdering his friends. The New Testament is not about a group hug. It's a courage story. In the 21st century edition of the church, if our children and grandchildren are going to know freedom, it will be because we have the courage to wade ashore on those spiritual beaches. We're not fighting for a piece of ground. We're fighting for a kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And it transcends nationalities and borders and the United Nations. But it's been challenged in every generation. We're just the 21st century edition. I appreciate your courage. We have so many Christians, so many Americans who are looking at what's happening in our own country and, and we don't recognize it. We're used to these kind of things happening in other countries, atrocities happening in other countries, faith being pushed out of other countries. We're not so used to it, at least so visibly in the United States. But there's also a lot of people who kind of shrug it off because they say, all oh, this is a conspiracy theory. This is overblown, it's exaggerated. But I believe, and, and you can give me some more, I guess, enlightenment on this, <laughs> But there are Americans who feel like we are edging closer to the end of time, and we are edging closer to the fall of our civilization, maybe even this kingdom we call Earth, and they're concerned. And it's not because a meteor's coming, or it's not because of anything like that, global warming. It's because they feel like the evil and the globalism and, and the evil powers that be all around the world are strengthening, and meanwhile, we are weakening. Is there any, any hope that you can give us number one, and number two, before we even get to the hope part, what are some of the little Easter eggs that you would find in the Bible that would 
maybe perk our curiosity for what's happening now that we should be at least aware of? That's a really good question. Um, I think the biblical component, I think what, what we're beginning to feel intuitively, whether we even feel it rationally yet, is it doesn't feel like we're winning. Our elections don't feel like they're fair anymore. Justice is not equal anymore. Our children's education feels like it's just collapsing around us. Truth from agencies like the CDC or the FBI, you know, things that were pillars of our culture, we realize they're not trustworthy anymore. We may not know how to articulate that, and we may not be able to create the evidence in a way, but we sense that. And I, we feel our culture decaying all around us. And I believe that's accurate. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it has anything to do with political parties. I think we see a blatant grab for power that transcends Republican and Democrat, and they intend to limit the freedom of the citizens. And we sense that. So that's real. I, I'm, not sh I'm not ready to make the leap that it's the end of the world. It feels like it's the end of our world, and I believe that's accurate. If we don't change, I don't think there's any question. In fact, I, I'm not, un, I'm, I think it could be understood as the judgment of God. We can't flip God off and then ask him for his blessings. And that's pretty much what we have done, those of us in the church. I think if we'll change, I think we hold the power. That's where the hope is. I don't, we don't need a majority. The truth carries a weight in itself. A minority of people with the truth is an overwhelming force that's unstoppable. And if we'll have the courage to choose the truth, the American Revolution wasn't a majority opinion. About 25% of the population in the colonies participated. 25% were staunchly for the British, and another 50% were kind of somewhere in the middle. We don't have to have a majority. We have to believe in the truth. So I think the intuition is right. It could very well be the end of the American empire. Now, the good news in that is I worship a God who's bigger than America. So I'm, I have hope for the future and, and hope for my life and hope for the people I care about far beyond our Congress. But I feel like I have an assignment in this culture, in this nation, at this time. And if there's any way I can be an advocate for the truth and stand up for the truth, if I can lead with my faith, that starts at our kitchen tables. We have to tell the truth there. And then we have to tell it at the holiday table when we get that extended family. It's awkward. It's not going to be fun because all of our family trees have a few fruits and nuts and those conversations are awkward. And then you have to take it to the bleachers where you go watch your kids and your grandkids play ball into your circle of friends. You see, we, we haven't had that courage because we didn't want to upset anybody. There are some unusual examples that are willing to upset some people. But it's that commitment to the truth and to live it out that is the future of our civilization. I suspect if you lived in Rwanda, when a million people were slaughtered in a 90-day window of time, it would have felt like the end of the world. I bet if you lived in Cuba when Castro started rolling out his hate and murder, and it would have felt like the end of the world. So I understand why people think it's the end of civilization, because it very well could be the end of ours. If we don't change, I don't think we've got 20 years to fix this. I think what we do in the next couple of years will make an enormous difference. The people who oppose a biblical worldview discount our boss. God's not intimidated. And if we will choose him, there's a long biblical record. You know, he can use Samson, some little scrawny looking guy. Nobody knew why he was strong. They couldn't figure out why he had so much strength. He took Gideon and 300 people and overwhelmed an army of thousands. I mean, there's, a, there's an enormous amount of biblical record for this, if we will choose the Lord. That's the hope.
When you talk about a biblical worldview, mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying, but I fear that there are a lot of Americans, especially young Americans, who hear that and they've been programmed to believe when you say something like a biblical worldview that you mean anti-gay, anti-trans, you know, they, they have their connotations of what that means. And they really look at it and say, well, the biblical worldview means hate for people like me or people that are my friends. Can you explain that to our young people so that they really understand what you mean when you say biblical worldview? Because I fear a lot of them just tune it out when they hear it. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's really pretty simple. The, the Bible uh, opens with the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. So the premise is that there is a God, that he can be known. And the Bible is basically the designer's handbook. It's the best way to navigate your journey through time. You know, your spirit is eternal. When my body quits working, Alan's not done. I just step out of my earth suit and I step into eternity. And so the creator of all of that has given me a design guide. And if I, the more I will cooperate with that, the better my journey is through time and the better prepared I am for eternity. And so what a biblical worldview means is we start to treat that design guide as if it really matters. God loves everybody. He created us all. You know, God's not a prude. He created sex. It was his idea. He just showed us the context in which it would bring good things to us and the context into which it would be destructive. It was like salt. Salt makes our food better. But too much salt is not good for you. And so the designer said, this is how to flourish, and these are the things that would be destructive. And it's not always fun. I don't like to be disciplined. I don't like the discipline to, to consider what goes on my fork. I want to eat whatever I want to. But the reality is if I don't have a little discipline, it's not going to go well with me. And so the point of a biblical worldview is it helps you make adjustments so that you truly do find contentment and fulfillment and happiness. And the revelation in the book is that we are by nature rebellious. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. I want to do whatever I dang well want to do and hang the rest of you. And God will allow you to do that. He loves you so much. He'll say, you know, just go do what you want. But when you find yourself in the pit, he said, I'll help you out. And so we have this tension, and it, the tension will exist as long as we have human beings. People that say, I don't want to comply. But there'll be some who do. And so I've decided to give my life to encouraging people to cooperate with God. He's brought good things to me. I think he'll bring good things to you. But he doesn't hate anybody. He just says, if you continue in that behavior, it'll destroy you. You know, you could do crack. But if you do it long enough, you're not going to end up in a great place. Well, it makes me feel good. Well, it may today, but it won't three years from now. And so it's not about condemnation and hate. The people who oppose a biblical worldview use those mean, spiteful labels. But it isn't about hate. It's about an invitation to a better way of life. It's really good news. It is, and I think it's all about the messaging of it. I think there's been so much muddiness that's been attributed to Christianity and just to faith in general. And that's purposeful, it's manipulative. Yeah. And I'm wondering what you think the motivation is behind all of that, because it, it feels like, maybe this isn't true, but it feels like now more than ever, at least in my lifetime, there is a coordinated and strategic effort to convince people that this biblical worldview is hateful, it's intolerant, it's bigoted, and it's not the path for the American people. I mean, it feels like that is the message 
Yeah, at I least agree. coming out of places like Hollywood and music, pop culture, sometimes even sports. And it's unfortunate. But what do you think the reasoning is behind all that? The people that are pulling the strings, why are they delivering that message in your view? Well, I think there's two primary causes. And I'll, I'll speak to the one where I have the most, I'll speak to the church first because I live in that world. I think most church leaders are gutless. And we want to say what we think will help us gain the largest crowd. That's evil, to be just candid. It would be like going to a doctor that didn't want to give you bad news. You know, if you don't feel good and you go see the oncologist and he's, he's like, I really hate to tell people bad news, so you're good. Well, if you have a disease, that's wicked. We call it malpractice. And we will take your license away and prosecute you. Well, if your assignment is to tell the truth, and you don't tell the people the truth because you would rather them like you and build your audience, expand your platform. That's evil. You haven't helped the people. You have just done something that's self-serving. So I think there's been a tremendous fail on the church side of the discussion, first of all. We haven't done a good job of messaging. God doesn't want to take anything from us. Now, on the, the other side, clearly there are people that don't agree with the worldview. And they're not going to play fair. That's the definition of evil. If evil played fair, we wouldn't call it evil. So you're, you're exactly right when you say, look, this battle doesn't feel fair. Duh. That's why I'm advocating for my worldview, because justice comes from God, not from governments. I earned a degree in history. There's no civilization in history where the government grew towards more justice. Governments always grow towards increasing authoritarianism, because every time a government can consolidate power, no matter what the tragedy is for the excuse, they hold the power. So civilizations eventually spin down into destructive authoritarian problems. Justice comes from God. And if we're advocates for that worldview, then we can extend justice. Our nation is the most amazing experiment, no matter where you've come from, no matter your ethnicity, your skin color, male or female, poor or rich, it was a place where there was opportunity. Was it perfect? No. But it was the most unique experiment in human civilization, and you and I have benefited from that. The question to our peer group, young and old, is are we going to have the courage to extend that? Are we going to gobble up the blessings, get all we can, sit on the can, and to heck with the rest of the people? And I still believe there's enough people with the courage to choose the truth. In closing, for people that are feel very overwhelmed by everything that we talked about. Yeah. What's a, a simple piece of advice that you could give people? Maybe they're just at the beginning of their faith journey. Maybe they haven't found God yet. Maybe they've wandered away and not sure if they want to come back. What would you tell those people to give them that jump start that they need to get on the right path? That's really good. Well, I, something really simple to begin with. And it, it's what I do and have had to do. I just really, in the plainest of language, I talk to God. You know, God, I feel overwhelmed. The world feels nuts. And I'm, I feel like I'm losing my equilibrium. Help me. You know, even my own inclinations are not always godly. Help me figure that out. I want to honor you. That's just between you and the Lord, a simple, honest conversation. You know, we have a lot of self-talk anyway. Why not invite God into the middle of that? If there is a God, and I believe there is, why would I not talk to him? The other thing is, take some discipline in your thoughts. You know, I, I just cannot afford to spend too much time taking in the news of the day and chasing my favorite conspiracy on the internet. There's two or three sources that I trust and I'll go listen to them, I'll gain a perspective so that I, I, I'm paying attention to what's happening through the window. But I wanna spend most of my time focused on the good things that I can find. 
I, I find a friend in Asheville that's telling the truth, and that makes me smile. Uh, I went to a conference the other day, and I bumped into a, a young man that I hadn't known, Brandon Tatum. And I smile. I said, come go to Israel with me. We spent two weeks in Israel bouncing around. And I find there are so many good things happening. And if I'll focus my thoughts and my attention and my efforts around adding momentum to those. You know, if you go to the, if you go to the, watch your kids play ball and they don't have a prayer before the kids play. If you're sitting in the bleachers, have a prayer. I don't have to wait for somebody official to decide what, to, I'm not powerless. I have a voice and choices. And we still live in a free country of sorts. Go exercise your freedom. Again, you don't be angry or belligerent. Feel like every day you add a little momentum to the good. And when you get to the end of the day, clean it up. You know, I'll stop and say, God, you know, I didn't do very well in traffic. Those three people that I gave a salute to, sorry about that. Or, you know, you can kind of clean up the messes. So you end your day in a positive note. You begin your day by inviting God in. And then you go add a little momentum to good. You can change the world. If enough of us do that, it'll change. It's an exciting time. You're right, it is. And I'm so happy that we could end with that because it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of everything is doom and gloom and, and fire and brimstone and everything's bad and our leader isn't the leader we want and we're worried about 2024. But I think that's a perfect way to end it because it is an exciting time because this is a chance that we can reverse course and we all have that power. Absolutely. Pastor, we're so happy to have you in Nashville and I'm so happy that you came in to see us today for this special edition. God bless you, and please come back anytime. Anytime. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this special episode of Tommy Lair and is Fearless from Nashville. God bless and take care.